Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Hey, it's so good to be with you today. Uh, Thank you for tuning in with us at Garfield Memorial Church, whether you're doing this on Sunday morning at 10 or 11.30, or you're doing this sometime during the week, or as Pastor Scott reminds me, maybe a month from now, as we get look-ins all the different time. Welcome. Uh, We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would touch you in a special way today as we look together at worship. Um, You know, you must know something about worship. You've tuned in with us today. And, I, I, you know, I've been in the chat. One day I'm going to get good enough to be up here preaching and also be able to respond to stuff in the chat. Uh, I'm not that dexterous yet, but I hope to get there. Um, but I love when you check in, when new people check in. Or, you know, I shouted out our, our, our folks worshiping with us from. And I, I got to meet Kendra down in Hiram in Portage County. God bless you. Shout out to Portage County. Uh, David uh, has checked in with us from Champaign, Illinois. David's working on a PhD uh, at St. Louis University on Dr. Martin Luther King and the beloved community. And he said he's tuning in to Garfield uh, to get a sense of what that looks like. Thank you, David. Uh, God bless you. So uh, shout out in the chat. Pastor Kurt's in there. Pastor Scott's over in his chair. He's probably peeking in. Pastor Terry, uh, we do that. We want to interact with you. And uh, as we gather for worship. Now, worship, this series is titled Worthy, is, it derives the word worship from what you give worth to. And the early church modeled for us worship. And there's been uh, a kind of a tradition of worship through the ages. And there's certain aspects of worship that we always do. Whatever container it comes in, whatever particular style, whether more, more modern, whether more uh, European, whether more uh, indigenous African, whatever it might be, Asian, however the cultural tradition is for worship, there are some things, some universal stepping stones that we've done through the years being called into worship, right? Going to a time of confession. Now, you know, of our sinfulness, grounding ourselves in the Word. We don't do that very well in the modern church in America in the 21st century, whether it's uh, European worship or modern worship. Uh, we kind of miss that, and I think Pastor Terry's going to preach on that next week. We need to reclaim confession. Then we move into listening to God's Word uh, through the Scripture read, through the teaching, and then we respond to God's Word through singing and receive the benediction, which is the good Word. That's what it means and we're sent out into the world. That's something that happens all the time. And uh, do we really know what we're doing? (laughs) You know, I think we think worship's just showing up. Right? We checked the box. Uh, you know, if, if you were in a college class where they called out attendance, you want the professor God, uh, Dr. Jesus, to know you've been in attendance. So we, we just show up. And, and showing up is important. Don't get me wrong. I think Woody Allen said 90% of life is just showing up, persevering. 
But do we know what we're doing when we're going through worship? I was reminded of that by a man named uh, William Willimon. William Willimon was a, was a chaplain at Duke University for years and years. Uh, he became a United Methodist bishop. I believe he's retired now. But Willimon talked that he was lecturing at a university up in Anchorage, uh, Alaska, and a little Methodist church asked him, would he come and preach for them? They were in a remote area. He wanted to see uh, some of the rugged terrain, so he was glad to go. And he said he went up there, and on Sunday morning he was preaching and an earthquake happened, like a literal earthquake. The building was shaking. And Willimon said that the Alaskan uh, people that were in attendance, they didn't budge. They, they just treated it as another day at the office. In fact, one woman looked up at the ceiling and says, gee, the light fixtures didn't fall this time. And Willimon said he didn't know what shook him up more, the earthquake or the nonchalant Alaskan Methodists. And he said to the pastor after that service, I would never want to preach every Sunday in this church. What in the world do you have to do to get their attention? And, and I think sometimes that's when we come into worship, God is, is challenging us. You know, you wouldn't think you could get used to an earthquake, but they did. And the worst thing that can happen is if we get used to God. In Micah chapter 6, that great passage, we remember it, Micah 6, 6, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly before God. That's what's required of us. But if you read that whole passage, God is calling the people into a courtroom. The mountains are the jury. And he says, I have something against my people. And he said, it's this. And he recounts all his amazing acts through the exodus and in the wilderness and other things. And then he says this painful verse, what did I do that you grew weary with me? What happened that you got used to me? Annie Dillard, the great American poet and preacher once said that we're like children on the floor on Sunday morning batching up batches of TNT, unaware of it. She said, how dare we wear velvet and straw hats to church? We ought to wear crash helmets. Ushers ought to give us signal flares and life preservers. They ought to lash us to our pews. So here's the deal. For the next four weeks today and three Sundays after, Pastor Terry Scott and I, we're going to try to dig in and catch ourselves when we're just going through the motions. So today we're going to deal with the call to worship. If you were here when our, our worship started, God bless you, you're in the bottom or in the 20% that are, just a joke. But Vondra, you know, before she began to sing, what'd she do? She called us into worship. She invited us into worship. That, that's been a, a, something that's happened in the church eternal. There's a time to call ourselves to worship. Now, what does that mean? So I'm going to look at four things in about 24 minutes, okay? What are we called to do? Why are we called to do it? How in the world do we do it? And when? Okay, first, what are we called to do? It's in the psalm. Scott read it for us. If you heard his psalm, the psalm began with three English words, and it ends with three English words. Words we kind of toss around. I put them in the chat this morning because I was a little bit of a tease because I want us to go deeper with it. The words are, praise the Lord. 
Oftentimes I'll say, you know, when I get an email or a text of a, of a praise report, I'll hit them back PTL, which means praise the Lord. But I think I'm being too casual with that. Do you know what that word, what it means? In Hebrew, it's one word. One word with two derivatives. It's the word hallelujah. And this is a command. This is like the Ten Commandments. We don't think of it that way. This isn't just, oh, praise the Lord. They're saying, no, praise the Lord. It's calling us, commanding us to hallelujah. What does that mean? Hallelujah has two derivative forms in the Hebrew. The first is the word hallel. Hallel means this. It means to boast in, to glory in, to take confidence in, to ground ourselves in. Now, in Cleveland, when we think about boasting in something, it's usually some kind of sports occasion. It's, you know, like the Browns beat the Steelers. Sorry for our Pittsburgh friends tuning in. Or it was like in 2016 when I hung out downtown with a million and a half of my closest friends celebrating that King James brought us a championship. But Hallel is saying, you need to ground yourself in something bigger. You need to boast in something. For, see, we all boast in something. We all gain our confidence from something. We all ground ourselves in something. Okay? I, I remember a famous fashion designer, Michael Mustoff, once said, before he was going out to one of these big fashion affairs in New York, he said, the nearness of the runway saves some of us from that feeling of soullessness. See, we all have wondered, do we measure up? We have that nagging feeling, do I matter? And we have to find something in which to, to ground ourselves to know we have significance. And unfortunately for this fashion designer, it was a runway. Some of us make that career. Some of us make it money. Some of us make it politics or, or a social cause, whatever it may be. The, the psalmist is reminding us when we're called to worship, it's saying to us, take the fingers of your soul off of whatever it is that you're grounding yourself in and grounded in God. Grounded in, in the unchangeable, immutable, unconditionally loving God. Because grounding ourselves in other things will fail us. Haven't we seen that this year? People are so grounded in, in politics or grounded in conspiracy theories. Why? Because we want to know something that nobody else does. We want to know we have the truth. We have the right way. And you know what that leads to? It leads to chaos. We've seen it. It leads to shouting and screaming and even violence as we're seeking to defend something earthly. Because our fingers of our soul got attached to something they shouldn't be attached to. What are you hallelling in right now? Where, where are you getting your confidence? Where are, you, where are you centering? That's what our Quaker friends call worship. Is it in this? Because hallel is the first part of that word. But the second part of hallelujah is yah. Yah is short for Yahweh. Yahweh was the Hebrew word, the name, intimate name of God. The, the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush as God was entering into a covenant relationship with us, his people. And he gave this word Yahweh, which means I am what I am. I will be what I'll be. But that, that word was so sacred to Israel that they would never read it. In fact, if you have a New Testament or a Bible with an Old Testament and you see the word Lord in all caps, that's where actually Yahweh was, but they wouldn't read it. They would say the word Elohim. Elohim meant the Lord, the omnipotent God, right? It was kind of a, a neutral form of God. But when we hallelujah, 
We're acknowledging that our soul is clinging to a God who's clinging to us. Did you, did you hear what the psalmist said? The Lord of the universe knows the stars by name. And he knows you. And he loves you. And every call to worship is a call to do that. Are you catching yourself going through the motions? <laughs> are we halaling? Are we getting this moment to say, I believe in this cause and I have this political opinion and I'm so obsessed with my career and, and these things. And they're, they're very good things. Right? I've said the worst part of idolatry is not making bad things your idols. It's, it's making good things ultimate things. And when the hallelujah comes, it calls us again to take our fingers off whatever it is in our souls we're clinging to and cling deeply to this God who pursues us. There's a modern worship song that really blessed me in, uh, in 2019. And it simply said this. Our band's done it a couple times. It says, my hallelujah belongs to you. You know, that's what this is about. What does your hallelujah belong to? Hey, I'm going to cheer for the Browns and the Cavs, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have political opinions, and I love my family, and I have all these things. But my hallelujah belongs exclusively to Yah, to Yahweh, to the God of personal relationship. So let's, let, let's keep going. That's, that's what we're called to do. So why are we called to do it? I love what the, what the part of that verse says. It says, how good it is to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious. Watch this. In a song of praise, a hallelujah is fitting. Why do we do this? Because it's fitting. It's right. Right? You ever have clothes that just fit and it just feels right? When our call to halal, to boast in the Lord, to make our, our claim and our confidence in God, it's fitting. It's fitting for God and it's fitting for us. And that word fitting is really fascinating because it really in the literal Hebrew it says that it is absolutely beautiful like glorious faces. So a song of praise is, it's, it's perfect, it's beauty, it's, it's wonder, it's glorious faces, it's fitting, it's what, it's what God deserves. And, and I'm telling you, friends, um, Tim Keller, a great American prophet, helped me with this, said, you know, we need to move from finding God as useful to finding God as beautiful. And so I want you to remember this, that worship is not just finding God useful, but is finding God beautiful. What did David say in Psalm 27, one of my favorite psalms? He said it this way. One thing, look at his priority. His one thing, his boast, his confidence, his one thing I ask from the Lord. This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To what? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. See, it's one thing to believe in the fact of God. I know God exists. You know, we're not here by accident. Even Einstein said there had to be some kind of intellectual design. He wasn't ready to call it a personal God. But, you know, we kind of Elohim. There's a God out there. He created all this, right? Um, you know, we believe in the fact of God. That's why the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. 
But if you stay in that lane where God is just a mere fact, he's Elohim, but he's not Yahweh, sooner or later you'll grow weary to that. And at worst, your relationship will become transactional. You'll be like the scarecrow and the tin man going to the great and powerful Oz to get your deepest desires. And everything, God becomes like a business partner, right? You ever notice that when you're with a business partner? You know, you, you meet and, and, and you're trying to get things done, right? Um, you, you're, uh, you're, you're setting goals. You're setting out, out, outcomes. But it's different when you're with a lover, with someone, the love of your life. You know, 2020 was crazy, as we all know. I didn't know I was going to survive it as a lead pastor. We had no rule books for this. I, I said we were like Lewis and Clark in the canoe with Sacagawea. There were no maps. And every, about every four or five months during that time, my wife and I would just take a long weekend away. And I just needed to just detach. And I just needed to be with her, right? Uh, that's different than being with a business associate. And it would, we would fill each other up and, be, and then get back in the game. Now, see, when, you meet with, when I meet with Terry, I don't say to her on those long weekends, what's the purpose of this meeting? What, what are our strategic steps? What do we hope to be our outcomes? No, that's treating God as useful. That's treating one you love as a business partner. God says, I want to relate to you as one who loves you and one who you love. You know how you can figure out if you're doing this? How do you pray? There's different kinds of prayers, prayers of intercession. Here's two prayers. Prayers of petition and prayers of adoration. Prayers of petition are going to God for things. God, help me with this, and God, give me this, and God, God, can you, can you bring me through this, and God, I, I, you know, I'm worried about this, and, and we go to God with things. Prayers of adoration are going to God for God. See, when we go prayers of petitions, we say, I need these things to make me happy, but when we see the beauty of God, and we go to God just to adore God, we say, God, you're the only thing that can ultimately make me happy, whether I get these things or not. I have to tell you, the older I have gotten, the more my prayers have turned into prayers of adoration. You know, I, I used to be, believe me, even when I came to Garfield almost over 16 years ago, you know, I was out to fix the world and everything, you know, 42 years old in my prime, and, and a lot of my prayers were, God, help our church with this, and help me do this, and God, I need this, and I need this. You know, I got to tell you, 16 and a half years later, my prayers have turned into just, well, I'm with God, God. I love you. <laughs> you mean everything to me. Thank you. You know, prayers of adoration. That's when you're finding God beautiful. And adoration, praise, fits God. It's fitting. It gives God what he's worth, right? This is what God delights in. He says over and over that, right? This is what God delights in. And here's the deal. It's fitting for us too. We're created we're created to be in this kind of relationship with God. And when we see God as beautiful, right? We see God as beautiful. It, it fits, it's fitting for us. Do you know we spend an awful lot of money? Have you ever thought about that? To go to beautiful places. <laughs> 
you know, I, it depends on your budget. Maybe it's the shores of Lake Erie. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon. But nonetheless, we spend an awful lot of money to go sit on a balcony or on a porch somewhere uh, and just take in beauty. And why? What do we get out of it? We, what do we get out of it? We don't get anything out of it. We get it. And, and it fills us and it nourishes us. And that's how we need to see God. We need to go to God again, not just, not just for usefulness, but go to God because of the relationship, the saving, beautiful. What does he say? My unfailing love. Did you hear that in, in the psalm? That, that's what changes us. That's what fixes us. I, I, I read a, a, you know, I was a philosophy major in college, philosophy and religion. So I still read philosophers. I don't recommend you do it unless you want to sleep a lot. But I, there was a, a woman named Iris Murdoch. She's a Neoplatonist British philosopher. And, and she once said that in, a, in an article talked about the sovereignty of good. And forgive me for this, okay? Don't fall asleep in this next sentence. This is how philosophers talk. But she said that we are all anxiety-ridden animals with minds continually fabricating an anxious, self-preoccupied, falsifying veil which partially conceals the world. That's a mouthful. What's she saying? That we're anxiety-driven. Because we're, we're always uh, so self-preoccupied that we're creating narratives to, to fit the world instead of asking God, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't change things, but change me. <laughs> don't, don't, don't change things around me, but change me that I might be in a fitting relationship with you and those around me. And she said that when she got in a foul mood, the thing that liberated her was beauty. She talked about this. She said one day that she was in an anxious and resentful state of mind. She said she was brooding an attitude over some damage, she said, done to buy prestige. And suddenly she observed out her window in Europe a hovering falcon. European falcons, uh, you know, we see hawks circling. European falcons can actually get in the headwind and just sit there. They look like a stealth bomber just sitting stationary. And it smote her heart. And she said, suddenly, her attitude, with all its hurt and vanity, disappeared. She wrote, there is nothing now but this falcon. And when I returned to think of that other matter that was so bothersome to me just a few moments before, it seemed so less important. Now, if a falcon can get you out of a bad mood, how about the goodness and the glory and the forgiveness of God, right? I mean, Paul, I love it in 2 Corinthians. He was in a foul mood. And he said, you know, that he had a messenger of Satan. He called it a thorn in the flesh. Something that was, you know, beseeching him, uh, bringing him pain. And he went to God, prayers of petition. God, help me with this. Get rid of this. Get this out of my life. And he heard Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you. And look what happened to Paul after he saw that beauty. He said, therefore, I will boast. There it is. I will hallel all the more gladly about my weaknesses. What? So that Christ's power, his saving grace may rest on me. Look how he's talking now. I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And that leads us right into how do, how do we do this?
right? What we're called to do, why we're called to do it, to be in this fitting. How do we do it? We do it in weakness and not in strength. Understand what did uh, Psalm say in verses 10, 11? Let's look at those again. It says that his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. See, what God is referring to there, and in that day and age, and we've seen that today in some kind of militaristic countries and with uh, autocrats or whatever, they like these big displays of tanks and everything rolling down the streets. That was the same way in those empires. Egypt or Babylon or Assyria or uh, Rome would march their militaries down the streets and people would share as they see the muscular legs and arms of the warriors, the, the, these powerful horses, the sun shining off the spears and the shield and people would say, yeah, nobody will mess with us now. And they halaled in the wrong thing. And God said, I don't delight in human strength. In fact, Peter found this out later where God said, God opposes the proud. Read it, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 4. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, we come to God with a humble heart. That's how we do it. Um, God is not impressed with human strength. And here's the deal. We can receive this unfailing love. That word in the Hebrew is the word keseth, which means steadfast, unconditional love. It's the love of the covenant. And this is placed on us, and it won't fail us. Why? Because it's not based on the strength of our legs or our arms. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on your muscles. It's not based on your morality and your ability to do things right. It's based on God's actions. And when you transfer the hope of your heart from your works, from your efforts, from your performance to his grace, that begins to turn him from a business associate into a lover. I don't know about you, but during the pandemic, I've been, uh, Terry and I have been streaming, uh, you know, movies. This stuff isn't coming out, right? And you're like desperate. What can we binge watch, right? During these times, we're sheltered at home at times. And we were looking through some movies. I came across one from 2007. I'd never seen it. It starred John Cusick, Cusack, sorry, and it's titled Martian Child. And we, we watched it, and it's about a little boy who's been orphaned, he's been abandoned, um, and he goes into a, a state of abandonment himself. He thinks he's from Mars, he lives in a box, um, you know, he, he wears sunglasses all the time, he has an umbrella, he's afraid of the sun, and John Cusack, a widower, adopts him. And John Cusack learns to appreciate this boy and not try to conform him into the world, but to love him as who he is. And I'm a, I'm a mess during this movie. I cry so much now at my age. And at the very end of the movie, the boy is so afraid of abandonment, and he, he gets up on a ledge, and it's very frightening, and John Cusack goes out on that ledge, and he says to him, I know people have left you, right? They were stupid. But I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. And I love you. And I'm a crying mess. And I suddenly said, man, I hear him hearing the voice of God through John Cusack. God, if, I guess if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, God can speak through anything. 
And I realize he is declaring the kset, the covenant love of God. Do you realize only God can say this? I mean, I, I've tried to say that to my kids. Oh, I'll never leave you. I love you. I'll be with you to the end. The, tr the truth is that's not true. At some point, we're all going to die. And, you know, my kids thought I was a superhero when they were little. They're all now 26 to 38. They know dad's superhero cape only goes about six inches. And we fail our kids. We can't. Only God can get out on that ledge with us and say, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And it was that word forsake that showed up on the cross. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the God forsakenness so that we would never be. And when you can gaze on the beauty of that, right, it can melt your heart. Forgiveness is a hard, hard thing to do. But I'm going to tell you, friends, it's liberating. And when I've found those times I've been able to forgive because of a wound that was done to me or a heart, the only way I could do it was to dwell and put my attention on the way that God and Jesus Christ has forgiven me. And the beauty of that melts me and changes me. And it can change you too. Okay, two, three minutes I got left. Um, when do we do this? We've talked about, you know, what are we called to do? How, you know, um, why, are we, why should we do it? Uh, what was my last point? Um, let me go back to it. I'm, I'm getting old. Don't say anything. It's coming. Um, how, right? The how do we do it? And the final way is when. When do we do this, right? Well, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Uh, Sunday morning, 1130 a.m. Uh, Monday night on the prayer line. Listen. God slips a little line in here that I want to say to you, Psalm 149, or 147, verse 19. It says this, he has revealed his word to Jacob. Did you hear that when Scott read it? Isn't that weird? A lot of times in the Psalms, God calls us, O Jacob. And the prophets will say that, O you Jacob. Why not, O Abraham? Why not, O Sarah? Why not, O Isaac? Why Jacob? Because Jacob, actually, there's not much good you could say, be like Jacob. Jacob was a trickster. That's his, what his name meant. He uh, conned his uh, brother out of his birthright. He, he tricked his father, his old man, out of, out of his brother's blessing. He ran off into, into exile out of Israel, and then he got into a scheming game with his father-in-law. He, he uh, you know, was very uh, dismissive and, and treated, played favorites with his wives. Why? He was looking for a blessing. And you almost see nothing good in Jacob's life until he comes back to Israel. He's at the Jordan River, and he's wrestling with God. You know the story. And the sun is about to come up. And Jacob says, I won't let you go unless you bless me. What's happening? Jacob is realizing all the things I've been wrestling with, all the devious schemes I've had, all the struggles that I had to self-promote, and all my obsession with myself— the blessing that I've been seeking can only come from you. And see, if the sun came up and Jacob would have seen God's face, he'd have died. And he said, look, if I need to die right here, I'm willing to do it because I know I can only get my blessing from you. That's the when. You say, well, Chip, I don't get it. The when is this. It's your entire life. Jacob's entire life had been wrestling. Wrestling to see God's beauty. Wrestling to understand that God was playing. That's why we return to worship again and again and again. That's why I begin my week in worship. I don't end it there. Because I need this blessing.
I need this affirmation. I need to, God to show me Jesus out on the ledge with me. A confused child, someone that's not sure I can make it one more day and hear that voice say, I love you. I will never leave you. I created you just as you are. And so when do we worship, friends? All our lives. We have those transforming moments, then we go back into the valley, then we go back to the mountain. That's why the Psalms are Psalms of lament and, and Psalms of praise. But they end here. They end here. Psalm 147, Psalm 148, Psalm 149. The, the last words of the Psalms are words of hallelujah. Are telling us, hallel in God. Say to God, my hallelujah belongs to you. It's not, it, nothing will take that. Center yourself in that. Grasp it. See his beauty. And know that while you're wrestling, he's wrestling for you, with you, never to leave, never to forsake. Do you know that's what you've been called to worship to? Can you catch yourself when you're going through the motions of other things? Let's work today to make our boast, our confidence in not some omnipotent, powerful Oz, but in a God, a Yahweh, God who comes to save us who goes at infinite cost to himself on the cross, out on the ledge, to let us know that he knows the stars by name, but he knows our name, and he loves us. I hope you'll think about that each and every time you're called to worship. We'll see you all next week.